This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, along with former NFL wide receiver Donald Jones. Donald, I got a lot of great feedback from our listeners about your breakdown of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. So I wanted to have you back for another week to talk a little more wide receivers, but also quarterbacks. First, Donald, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me back on the show. I got a couple of tweets from some Vikings fans. It was the first positive tweet that I've gotten from Minnesota fans in my <laughs> life, so I felt good about it. Okay, I need you to explain something, because there was one angry tweet I saw about Adam Thielen and his burst. Okay, so one thing that every week we see on the broadcast, or at least I see tweets about because I'm at the game, uh, is announcers saying, Adam Thielen isn't the most athletic guy out there, but, and we know that's because he's a white wide receiver, but you were much more specific, though. You were much more specific. So what I was trying to do is uh, describe how you were not doing that. You were not doing the white receiver guy thing. You were explaining that he doesn't have the explosion of some other receivers. Can you explain that further? Yeah, yeah. So Adam Thielen is not – he's not Julio Jones. He's not Tariq Hill. He's not – you know, some of the most explosive receivers in the league, Antonio Brown, he's not those guys. You know, so you're not he's not gonna run a four three, a four two for you. But Adam Thielen is an effective wide receiver that understands what the defense is trying. That's that's not to say he's slow. He's right. not slow. He plays football in the NFL. Any wide receivers playing football in the NFL, they're not slow. All right. And if you think they're slow, then I think you should try to line up next on the race. See how fast you are. Um, but he's not slow. He's just not the fastest guy out there. Adam Thielen understands what the defense is trying to do to him. He can catch the ball. He's fearless over the middle. Um, and so with all of that being said, he's effective and he knows what he's doing and he's getting me a lot of points in my fantasy team. So I'm loving it. <laughs> okay. So explain to me something that Adam Thielen does so well which is he tracks the ball and is able to contort his body in different ways where he can always make the catch. I mean, these last two weeks it's been diving catches, uh, but it's also sometimes if a ball is thrown a little bit behind him, uh, Kirk Cousins has been accurate, but not like perfectly Joe Montana accurate, and it never seems to matter if a ball is behind him or ahead of him or he has to go up and get it. How difficult is that when you're going at full speed with coverage and things like that for a wide receiver? You know, a lot of times, um, number one, when you're running through coverages and zone coverages and things like that, especially a guy like Adam Thielen who's working the slot a lot more, mm-hmm. you're not technically running 
full speed. It might look like you're running full speed, but you might not be running full speed because you're trying to find a hole in the defense. And so you're taught to slow down. When you get into that hole, slow down so that, you know, you present, you present yourself as a target for the quarterback. Um, if you run too fast through the hole, well, the quarterback missed you. He might have been looking somewhere else. So when you see that hole, you're supposed to slow down in that hole. So that's the number one thing. Number two, as a wide receiver, you are always taught that the ball is not going to always be perfect. I don't care who you are, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, uh, Aaron Rodgers. These dudes are not throwing perfect passes all the time. The wide receivers are good in the, in the NFL. And so they know how to maneuver their body and make the plays. And Adam Thielen is one of the best at it. Uh, and that's why I say he's fearless, because he's doing this stuff over the middle of the field. Diving catches, um, turning back for balls, all types of things over the middle of the field. And it's really fun to watch him. And Kirk Cousins, yeah, he's 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 accurate. But some of his passes are going to be off, just like any other quarterback in the league. It's your job that the ball is in your vicinity, you're supposed to catch it. All right. If it's behind you, we work on that stuff as wide receivers in the NFL. You, we, we go over drills where the ball is behind you, where the mm-hmm. ball is too low, the ball is too high. You know, you're supposed to be able to catch that stuff. They expect you to catch it and you expect yourself to catch it. So, you know, we make it look hard, but eh, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, Donald, mm-hmm. explain to me about um, the slot because you know, in 2016, Adam Thielen was a really effective outside wide receiver. And then last year, Pat Shermer decided to move him inside to the slot, and John Filippo has stuck with that. And I'm, I'm watching the game, and maybe I was a, a little over uh, hyperbolic, let's just say, but I'm watching two different instances where Adam Thielen is tracked by only a linebacker, and the linebacker just has no shot. And I know part of that is the offense trying to scheme for that matchup, but my comment was if you've got – him a linebacker repeatedly on him you just shouldn't be doing this because that's a complete failure on defense and you're going to lose that every time but what are some of the advantages and why do certain receivers work in the slot better than others you know it's funny i saw you tweet i saw you tweet that out like you're a fool if you continue to put a linebacker on adam Thielen, and and i i feel the same way um i also feel like Offensive coordinators are fools if they don't use their wide receivers in that way and mm-hmm. move them around. You know, you want to keep that guy on the outside, then all right, you're you're limiting his ability to be able to make plays. You move your best players around on the field for multiple reasons. Number one, you move them so that the the uh, defense can't get a read on where he is. You know, and number two, you move him around so that. He just likes to be moved around. I love playing inside and outside. And so it was fun for me to be able to work against linebackers and safeties. It was also fun to go outside and work against corners, you know. But the biggest thing is because he's such a precise route runner, you want to get him in a matchup against guys like linebackers and safeties who are not cover guys. They don't, they don't work on coverage every day like cornerbacks do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you see motions, you see shifts, you see bunch formations, you see all of those types of things. It's to get the receivers into a position to work a mismatch. And so when you put Adam Thielen on the inside in the slot, even as the number three receiver in a trips formation, you're trying to get a matchup versus a linebacker. And I'll tell you this, if there is a matchup, and this is for all Vikings fans who are watching, if you see Adam Thielen on the inside and there's a linebacker on him, 
you can almost guarantee, unless you see Stefan Diggs on the other side one-on-one, you can almost guarantee that the ball is going to go to him. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is told to look for that. If there is a matchup on a linebacker or a safety, throw the ball to him because he is expected to win that matchup. If there's a nickel corner on him, okay, now it's a 50-50 chance. It's always a 50-50 chance, but the odds are that guy can cover a little bit better than a linebacker. When you were playing, what was your route tree like? I mean, did you have specific routes that your offensive coordinator would dial up knowing that that worked best for you? Or was it always that you had to know every single one and that you had to succeed at every single one? Because when I watch Thielen and Diggs, I see them running at all levels. I mean, underneath, going deep, you know, fade routes and outs and ins and and under, like everything. And I don't see that from every receiver when I watch football the rest of the time. But with these two, I think that's one of the things that makes them unstoppable is they can execute almost any route. I think the biggest thing is, um, it's where those guys were drafted and the feeling undrafted. You know, um, when I came into the league, obviously I came in undrafted. So I came in as a guy, you need to be able to do everything that you want to stay on this team. Mm-hmm. Now, both of those guys have been paid and I need to borrow a dollar from both of them. <laughs> they got bills coming up. Um, but I think that because they were drafted so late and undrafted in their minds, they have to be able to do everything on the football field. Both of them are now superstars, obviously. But they're never going to forget the fact that it took me to be able to know every position on the field to be able to make this team and stick and stay on this team when you're drafting wide receivers in the first round. And so they work on that stuff in the offseason. All right, I need to work on my slot routes. I need to work on my outside routes as well, but I need to work on these routes because I need to get better at this. They watch film. Okay, I work against the linebacker on this one. They'd like to grab a little bit more. How can I beat them? you know, running this route. And that's the biggest thing with those guys. They play with a chip on their shoulder because they were undrafted and drafted very late. Well, fifth round, a sixth round for Diggs. And so they had to know every position on the field. They had to know how to run routes on the inside and routes on the outside. The biggest thing is coaches sometimes will limit a guy. Mm -hmm. And they'll put a guy on the outside and they say, well, you know, he's really fast but he doesn't really know how to run routes that well. And so we're just going to put him on the outside and throw him nine balls, which is a go route. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just going to throw him fades all game. That's going to be his thing. And he might be able to stick for a little bit running that route, but they never even gave him a chance to run routes on the inside. You know, it's like, and, and the biggest thing with the Vikings, they gave those guys routes on the inside, and those guys are doing well at it. You know, and so now they're unstoppable because they know how to run everything. Okay, explain to me something about the undrafted or late pick thing. Uh, is it that certain guys make it? I mean, I, I know that there's some just shortcomings of talent where a guy is never going to make it. He's just not going to be fast enough or he's not going to process quick enough or whatever. But let's assume that uh, guys have that, that they have the ability to be an NFL player and they're smart enough. They're smart guys like you or Thielen or Diggs, all very bright guys. But what mm-hmm. is it the drive to make it? Is it the drive that you hate losing? Is it the drive that you love football? I mean, what did you find? Because you were around a lot of guys also in the NFL who had similar stories to your own. So what was it that you saw that was most common for why guys made it with their, their personality and makeup? 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, football players, professional athletes, period, are they say they're alpha males. You know, as one percent of the world get to get to make it into the NFL, right? And so you go through your entire life. My son right now is eight years old. All he talks about, Daddy, when I get to the NFL, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, all right, cool. If you make it to the NFL, I, I would love to see you do all that stuff. From when you're a kid, from when you first start playing football, you have a dream of being drafted into the NFL. And you actually have a dream of, like, going to the draft. And you see yourself in that jersey, you know, shaking hands with Roger Goodell or whoever the commissioner would be. Mm-hmm. And you see yourself doing that stuff. So when you go late and you watch all these other guys get drafted, it hurts, or when you get undrafted, it truly is like a hurt to your pride and to your ego. Some guys will go into the tank. Other guys are like, yo, I know I'm better than these dudes, so now i got to go in there and i got to work extra hard. And the crazy thing is, when you get there, you're working as hard as you can work, but you see the team end up drafting first-round receiver, another first-round, a second-round receiver, and you know they're going to give those guys an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. But you continuously come to work every single day, and you work like you're going to get cut. And I think that's the biggest thing with guys who were, you know, last uh, drafted late or guys who are undrafted. There was never a day in the NFL that I did that I felt like I made it mm-hmm. and I, I won't get cut because the fact of the matter is they're drafting guys to replace you. And I remember one day the. Um, one of the scouts came up to me. This was right when I made the team my first year. I made the team, and he came up to me. He was like, hey, man, you just made the team. And he was like, now it's my job to go find somebody to replace you. And huh. that always stuck with me. Yeah. And I'm like, man, this is my first day actually on a roster. And you already trying to replace me? And I said that to him. And he was like, yo, that's my job every day. I got to find the next guy to replace you. And I think, you know, Stefan Diggs, and Adam Thielen, regardless of what they've been paid, those guys will never forget that feeling of not being drafted high or going undrafted, watching all of these other guys get drafted before them. And they're going to play with that chip on their shoulder until they're out of the NFL. Yeah, that's really interesting that you bring that up because having been around them now to watch their entire growth, I mean, when I got here, uh, Stefan Diggs had just been a nice little promising rookie, the good little story from 2015, and Adam Thielen was on special teams. And then I've seen this entire right. thing. I, I, I've seen Stefan Diggs tearing up at the podium after making $70 million. And I've seen Adam Thielen get paid. And I've seen the New York Times and Sports Illustrated Bleacher Report all come in to do these Adam Thielen profiles. And you know what? Nothing has changed about either guy. That they are the same guy. They act the same around us, at least. And from everything you hear from teammates, they still act the same as they did before, which is, I, I mean, I think it would be easy for them to feel like, oh, I made it or whatever else, but I never seem to get that from them. Here's another question for you. Uh, how many guys, when they get drafted, like first round, second round, whatever, that's the end game for them. Like they feel like they made it and that's it. And whatever happens next is, is they could take it or leave it, but their whole goal was to make it. And after this, it's not the same. It's not the same sort of drive for them. Did you see that? Um, I say it's probably, you know, it's hard for me to speak for other guys, but I say it's probably just, just from watching guys work, probably 50, 50, 
you know, and it's usually a lot of the guys who were drafted earlier. Uh, you you won't see them work the same as they did in college, as they did in the pre-draft process. You know, and the fact of the matter is, they end up, they got drafted, they got drafted early, and they ended up making a little bit of money. Um, they, they've had all types of, like you said, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, ESPN articles on them, and they feel like they've made it, you know? And then you have guys like me, who we didn't get any of that stuff. Shoot, I was my first year in the NFL. I didn't have a shoe deal. I didn't have any of that stuff. I remember I was wearing the same socks, <laughs> these white socks, and they had turned gray and brown. And I remember, I can't remember who it was, but somebody came up to me and was like, hey, man, you know, they got socks. You know, they, they have, like, extra socks. You can go and get a new pair of socks every day. But that was my that was my mindset. It was like, yo, I can't, I'm, I haven't made it yet. I can't just go get new stuff every day like y'all can. Mm-hmm. In my second year, I was a starter, and I ended up with a Nike deal and all of that stuff. But you know, when you when you go undrafted, man, it's it's rough. And when you get drafted early, some some of those guys just don't work as hard because they've gotten paid millions of dollars. I mean, imagine if you got paid like literally out of college, which is you know, twenty one, twenty two, mm-hmm. twenty three, somewhere in there, you got paid. 10, 15 million dollars. You're like, man, I'm chilling. <laughs> like, I've worked my entire life since I was seven years old to make this money. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of people will say, well, that sucks. You guys are all about the money. Well, I mean, that's something that you grow and, and, and you gotta also take into account that these guys come from crazy backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Crazy backgrounds. You know, I come from nothing, literally nothing. That the, the crime rate and everything where I come from is ridiculous. And a lot of these guys come from that stuff. And your dream is to be able to make enough money to get yourself and get your family out of those environments. And when you get drafted that, you get drafted to high and you're 23 years old and now you got the money and you can do that stuff, you feel like you made it, you know? And so you might not work as hard. But when you go undrafted, you're like, man, I ain't got paid nothing yet. I'm living... Week by week, it's not check to check, obviously, but it feels like it's check to check in the NFL because you never feel like you made it. You never feel like you feel like every year you can get cut until you get paid, like Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Yeah, and you know it is amazing how often you run into the undrafted guys who did have to overcome other things in their life that help them, you know, help their drive. I, I mean. When you're talking about uh, Stefan Diggs, he lost his dad as a young age and took on a lot of responsibility that uh, normally a 12 or 13 year old wouldn't have to have in his life. And, uh, you know, that was a driving force for him. And he's talked about that quite a bit uh, of trying to fulfill the promise that he would eventually be able to take care of his family for life. So stuff like that is, is right. really is really cool, man. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real thing. You gotta always remember that these people are real, coming from real backgrounds with some crazy things. They've dealt with some things and all they've dreamed about was having enough money to get out of those situations. And on, on the flip side of it, it's unfortunate because it's like, okay, that's all you dreamed about. So now I got the money. Now what? What do you do with that money? Mm-hmm. Because just because you made Let's just say ten million dollars. You take half of that away with taxes, and then you take another percentage away with the agent, 
that's not what you think it is. You can't live off this for the rest of your life. Right. You know, but you did just make a lot more money than the average person coming out of college. And uh, some people... Some people feel like, well, I still haven't made it. I want to be the greatest. And those are usually the ones that end up the greatest. Others feel like, I made it, and now I can chill. Right, right. So let me um, let me switch gears on you a little bit here uh, because okay. I, I'm curious about we, – we've talked quite a bit on this podcast and over the air about leadership within the Vikings. And what we saw last year was they had an incredible group of leaders – Terrence Newman, 39 years old, but also a, a true leader and a true coach on the field. Teddy Bridgewater is in the locker room, the best leader that I've ever been around. Case Keenum, phenomenal leader, even if he isn't the most talented guy. And, you know, all those guys are not here anymore. Everson Griffin is also dealing with things in his personal life that uh, have taken him away from the football field. And he was kind of a, a beating pulse of the defense. How important did you think it was to have leadership in the locker room or do we overstate it as media no i I don't think you can overstate or overlook true leadership in the locker room it's it's really needed and and a lot of people i hear a lot of fans say man y'all making all that money y'all need leaders you need somebody else to lead you well yeah you still need people in the locker room because the fact of the matter is football is a young man's sport so you're talking about 22, 23-year-old guys that are making, even if they're not millionaires, they are making $20,000, $30,000 a week. And you can do a lot with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can get in a lot of trouble with that stuff. You know, you have guys with, with girlfriends, with multiple girlfriends, guys <laughs> with, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's still real life, all right? These are still people. And they need leaders in the locker room to make sure that they're doing the right things on the field, the right things in the building and the right things outside of that building just in you know normal life civilization stuff when you walk to target or you, you do something like that i mean you need leaders in the locker room to keep everybody in line to keep everybody in check to lead by example you don't always need the rah-rah type of guys even though there's always going to be those guys you need leaders to just pull a guy aside and say hey you got to watch what you're doing because that's that's not how we do things. You know, you need to make sure you're watching film. You need to make sure you're doing this. Honestly, for me, you need to have a leader in every position group. Mm. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that all the time. But if you're a team that can have a true leader in every position group, that's a great thing. Now, what sucks, sometimes you have young guys who were just undrafted or late round draft pick, and they're forced to be leaders. Why? Because they might have made a little bit of money or something like that, you know, or, or a lot of money. And so now everybody is looking at you, like a Stephon Diggs, like an Adam Thielen. And those guys are great players, and they work hard. They might not necessarily be that guy mm-hmm. who is pulling other people aside, you know, pulling somebody else aside and saying, hey, that's not how we do things around here. They might be a guy like a Stevie Johnson, you know, who was my boy in in Buffalo. Stevie was Stevie is a great person. Stevie worked hard um, at his craft, but Stevie was not a guy who was going to pull somebody else aside and say, "Hey, you need to do it like this," mm-hmm. right? Because Stevie kept to himself. That was his personality, you know. So it's important to have 
true leaders in the locker room, really at every position, but especially on both sides of the ball. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and that's where Terrence Newman was so big for this team. He would hold extra film sessions where he would just run it with no coaches there on their off day on Tuesdays. Everybody was still coming. All the DBs were still coming to the facility and still watching tape with Terrence leading, and, and that's something that I don't think you get on every single team all the time. How about the quarterback position? I mean, that's the guy that we talk about all the time and we look at all the time as how good of a leader is he or, or is he not. And, you know, I feel like uh, Kirk Cousins does what he can to try to project that, um, you know, with the inside the huddle before the game videos that they're putting out and things like that. Um, but I'm not so sure that he really is that guy necessarily. And he kind of alluded that to, to that himself. Is it super important that the quarterback is that guy, or is it more just uh, that you got to have it no matter who it is? No, I, I think you got to have it no matter who it is. I think the quarterback, obviously every team would like for the quarterback to be a leader, right? Um, but, you know, not all quarterbacks are the most vocal people. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Eli Manning. The dude has two Super Bowls. I don't think anybody who's ever watched football would look at Eli Manning and say, that dude is the leader on that team. Now, he might be in the locker room. He might talk to guys and stuff like that. But when you look at his facial expression, <laughs> yes. it just does not look like, you know, the true leader on the field. But when you hear all of those guys talk they all, about him, they always talk about how he is the leader in that locker room. Another example, you look at a guy like Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is a guy who, outside of the locker room that he's been in, people – have a certain perception of Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. People who have never met him. Right. Now, I don't, I've never heard a teammate say anything bad about Marshawn Lynch. Not about his work ethic, not about the type of person he is, not, not about the type of teammate he is, any of that stuff. Because Marshawn Lynch is a leader. He is a leader. You know, and you, I think you've seen that now that he left Seattle, the difference in that team. You know, he brought a certain mentality to that team on the field that the rest of the guys, even the defense, he was playing offense. Everybody talked about the Legion of Boom. Marshawn Lynch is the one that brought that personality to that team. Hmm. He's the one that brought the Legion of Boom. He's the one that people really looked up to. And so, for me, it doesn't have to be the quarterback. Everybody wants it to be the quarterback because the quarterback's making the most money. No. As long as the quarterback is making plays, I'm cool with that. As long as the quarterback, we don't get in the huddle, and you look like a deer in headlights, I'm fine. You know, if you get in the huddle and I feel like you don't know what you're talking about, or I feel like you're nervous, <laughs> right? then I'm a little bit nervous. But if I feel like you're confident in everything that you're saying to me, we're good. I don't need you to be the rah-rah guy. I don't need you to necessarily be the, the true leader or captain of this team. You know, I just need you to go out there and make plays. Okay, tell me more about Marshawn, because I've heard this from multiple people about Marshawn, that whatever the media thinks of him is just completely different from everything that his teammates think of him. Is there a, is there a story you remember or that you've heard about him that would sort of demonstrate that? I guess I, I'm, I'm really curious about Marshawn because I have heard that from enough people. You know, um, so Marshawn, I, I give this story. So a couple of stories. So you can see both ends of the spectrum with Marshawn Lynch. Uh, first story. I was obviously an undrafted guy. Now, when I was coming out, my uncle gave me the Jeep Wrangler, old Jeep Wrangler that he basically put together. And this thing was smoke on the inside. Um, it was a six shift. 
and there were times that it just, you know, all types of fumes coming up through the Jeep, everything, right? So I'm four weeks in. So now I probably made, you know, close to 80000 90000 100000 something like that, four weeks into the season, my rookie year. I'm driving that Jeep. Marshawn Lynch pulls up in a Porsche truck, a beautiful Porsche truck, pulls up next to me, and he looks at me, and he's like, yo, that's what you're driving? And I'm like, man, chill out. Don't do that right now. And he goes in the locker room and just lets me have it in front of everybody and tells everybody, like, yo, y'all see what he's driving? All of that, you know? But but it was all jokes. It was all funny games. Now, I did that day go to the car dealership and buy some. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely did that. But on the flip side of it, Marshawn was also a guy who pulled me to the side one day. I caught a pass, and I was having a rough day. And um, I caught a pass, and I didn't run through. You know, typically, you know, wide receiver catches the ball or anybody catches the ball. They want you to run 10 to 15 yards. Right. Act like you're scoring a touchdown. I caught a pass. I was having a rough day. I didn't turn around and run 10 to 15 yards. He came up to me right away like, yo, what you doing? He was like, you caught that ball. You ain't running 10 to 15 yards. And that's the type of guy that he is. He didn't call me out in front of everybody else to embarrass me on that. He just thought that was a funny game. But he didn't embarrass me in front of everybody. He pulled me to the side and said, yo, you got to make sure you're working hard every single day, every single week. You know, and, and then Marshawn Lynch is a guy who, when he is on the football field, he is having fun. Mm-hmm. You can tell he is having fun. He is smiling. He is laughing. It doesn't matter if he gets blasted. He is going to laugh. He's going to smile. He's going to have fun. And I think that's the type of people you want to be around, people who love to play the game of football, and that's Marshawn Lynch. Man, that's it. that's just really interesting. I mean, of course, I, I knew that he loved to have fun on the football field, but um, the amount of reverence that his teammates had for him, I, I never quite understood, and I guess that it speaks to just how sometimes we decide on a narrative as media and we just roll with it. And, he, and you know, sometimes even when people – from inside the team say it's not really right but if it sounds good and it's starting debate it seems like sometimes media will just keep rolling with it no matter what and, and he got that in buffalo for sure because he had some of the off-field stuff and then it became right. like he was enemy number one uh even though i don't think that any of the team saw it that way yeah man i mean he he it, it sucks because i think a lot of people have this this perception that professional sports are about selling tickets and, and merchandise. And don't get me wrong, that is a huge, huge part of merchandise. That's a huge part of the game. But everything we do is media-driven in sports. I mean, it's entertainment. It's all media-driven. Media runs it. Mm-hmm. And so when you get reporters start to say certain things about players, they can manipulate the fan base to feel a certain way about those players and as fans we tend to listen to certain reporters mm-hmm. all right and so if that reporter is saying x y or z about a player well yeah you know what he's right and then all of a sudden that's how i feel about that guy too right i might not have felt about that about him an hour ago but now that he said that he's right and he gave us some numbers or something don't don't give some stats some numbers behind what you're saying because then all of a sudden it's like you know what 
you are right. <laughs> you know, without even doing your own homework, you're like, that dude is right right there. You know what's amazing and about so that? It, it, it's really tough that the media can manipulate, you know, the fans or just uh, the population in general. But it is what it is. And Marshawn Lynch has got the, the, the bad side of things. I mean, you look at the Super Bowl, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, the Super Bowl, both the Super Bowls, when he was saying, you know, um, you you know why I'm here, or I'm only here if I won't get fined, right. and he wasn't answering questions, people were upset with that. And I, I'd hear a lot of fans say, oh, man, he's a thug, he's this, he's that, because he didn't want to answer questions. The reason he doesn't want to answer questions is because he does not trust people in the media. Because right. there they have been, I'm on the phone. There have been times where he has said things, and they've come back and and kind of switched it up on him. And so he'd rather not say anything, so that that doesn't have to happen to him again, you know. And so what people don't know is between both of those Super Bowls, he made millions of dollars not saying anything. I mean, he has so many endorsements come to him <laughs> yes. because of those Super Bowls. Yeah. I mean, the way they flipped it around was amazing. And what people really don't know is Marshawn Lynch is probably one of the best, one of the best people I've ever been around with his money. Hmm. I mean, that guy, they, they still say, and we have the same financial team, he has not spent really a dime from his football money. He only has spent his endorsement money. And he's invested well. You know, and so Marshawn Lynch will be a wealthy man for the rest of his life. And he doesn't seem like that type of guy. Right. But he is. Well, it's really interesting that what I've found, having been now in two media markets, how different the two of them are in terms of um, trying to shape a certain narrative about a player. And then Marshawn brought some of it on himself with the off-field stuff. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. but when you're talking oh, yeah. about calling someone a thug, well, that's a little bit different because you're sort of – um, well, first of all, you shouldn't call anybody that unless they're like working for El Capone, you know, like a like a right. Exactly. That's what that actually is. But we know what a lot of people mean when they say something like that. And and that to me is going to a personal level that you can't really know as a reporter who goes into the locker room for 45 minutes every, every couple of days. Right. And you talk to guys, you get to know them a little, but not to the level that their teammates would know, that their family would know, or anything like that. So when you're making a statement about somebody's a person, I think you have to have – that's very tricky as media. And I feel like where I am now in Minnesota, you don't get that. And there are players who do not talk to the media who don't get attacked, whether they play well or not, because that's kind of the media mentality here. Whereas in Buffalo, I think it was a lot different, where you would have seen if a player didn't talk or whatever it might be or had some off-field issues – it, it was a really aggressive attack of that player, and that might just have to do with the lack of winning there. I'm not sure, or maybe just a different mentality, but uh, it really speaks to how narratives get shaped on players by even their media market, and we know that New York is kind of doing this to Odell Beckham right now. Oh, yeah. Well, New York media market is brutal. That's uh, right. Big, big cities are brutal, those media markets. But Buffalo being as small a market as it is, I mean, it's it's in that market, and I think it has a lot to do with obviously not winning it so long. Um, but it, it, it's still a tough media market because, I mean, when they latch onto something, that is just how they feel. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you look at a guy like, and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like 
I feel like this guy deserves a million opportunities. And I'm talking about Nathan Peterman, the backup quarterback. Um, I mean, he's had multiple opportunities and thrown interceptions, but his, I mean, I don't even know if he can walk around Buffalo right now. <laughs> yes. You know, just because yeah. I'm sure everything, and when you look on social media, you look at everything. I mean, they dog him out there, you know, and, and there are other players. I remember one of the field cornerbacks, Leotis McKelvin, you know, and he, he had a bad play in a Monday night game and the way they treated him was crazy. I mean, the fans actually showed up at his house. Mm-hmm. And they did some crazy things to his house. You probably remember that. They, you know? uh, I think and they messed it, up his lawn, right? Yeah, they messed up his lawn. And it's like, yo, what is going on here? It's not that serious. You know, so the media can really shape the perception of players based on what they write, based on what they say. And we all know that, you know, every every company in the media, every every reporter has an agenda. And they're going to stay with their agenda. And if you listen to that person on a regular basis, uh, I don't know. There's a chance that you probably will have that perception of that player as well. It, it sucks, but uh, I guess that's just what it is. Except on the Purple Podcast, Donald, where we cover all angles. <laughs> yeah, you keep it neutral. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, what is not, what is not, I will say this, Donald, what is nice is on our podcast here is having – Yourself, Sage Rosenfels, our ESPN reporter, Courtney Corona. We have a lot of different voices that I try to bring in and people from the outside who are just good at their jobs and analyzing football to, to kind of cover it all as opposed to just people hearing me and what I think all the time to try and shape it. So I think that's probably the best way to do it. But, um, anyway, man, this is just awesome. I love talking football inside the locker room stuff with you. And as I told you before we went on, Open invite, you are free to come back, or if people uh, beg you to come back on uh, Twitter, we can always talk wide receivers and quarterbacks and everything else. And uh, someday we need Ryan Fitzpatrick stories as well, because that guy is... Um... Oh, man. <laughs> I got a bunch of Ryan Fitzpatrick stories. That's, that's amazing right there. That guy is crazy. Um, right. But yeah, man, I guess if the fans want me back, I'll come back. All Every right. week, let's do it. All right, we'll, we'll do a Twitter poll or something. Like, do you ever want to hear from <laughs> Yeah, <Donald>? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. All right, Donald. Thank you for your time, and thank you all, as always, for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.